So um, we just recapped the uh, the King series, and uh, that that was an incredible series. It was a seven gamer. Uh, closed out with with fifty points from Steph Curry. Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts on not only the entirety of the series but that game seven as well? Well, the game, Dre, you know how I felt about how the Warriors need to do things going into game seven. I was very upset with what happened in game six because the Warriors came out with zero urgency. They played, Steve Kerr had a game plan like this was game five of the regular season. They're running regular season stuff. They're running the motion offense to the ground. And there's just no sense of urgency as to, hey, we're at home and we need to close this because we don't want to end up on the road. We've been horrible on the road all season long. We don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we're that vulnerable. We're comfortable at home. We're great at home, but we have to play with purpose and we have to prioritize things to obviously that means Steph Curry on the ball more and not playing random offense and all this kind of stuff that they usually do that gets them into trouble oftentimes, especially on the road, right? But the thing about it is that the Warriors usually, they feel so comfortable at home that the motion oftentimes works enough for them to win. That's why they're great at home because the players play better at home. Their role players play better at home. Uh, there's less pressure with the, with the crowd on your side and everything, especially knowing that, you know, in a game six, you know that you do have another game if you do somehow end up losing that game. But that's not the mindset that you want to go into a game with. You're in the playoffs. This is it. You know, the intensity level has got to be all time high. You hear other coaches talking about it and, uh, you know, they you hear the sense of urgency, you know, like this is the playoffs. What are we fighting for? We're trying to win it all. You can't do this and that if you want to win in the playoffs, you know, that, that kind of intensity. You know what I mean? And going into game six, they just didn't have that. Steph Curry himself didn't really have that. Like if he needs to go rogue, then he needs to go rogue. He needs to be on the ball. He needs to be in control of what they're doing rather than standing in the corner and just watching his lesser teammates kind of fail him. You know what I mean? And him just being okay with that concept and idea. Uh, we know that when the Warriors go into the playoffs, all they do, you know, they turn to a certain style of play. And we know that that's not the motion because we know that elite teams know what the motion is and it's easier to guard because Curry is less involved in it. So it's less pressure for them. They can drop back and they can just do all these basic things um, that makes it harder on the Warriors and makes it easy for the other team. And so that's why oftentimes you see in the playoffs over and over again, we know what they do, right, Dre? Uh, we know that Curry, it becomes a Curry-centric offense. We know that Curry steps it up uh, and the whole thing changes. Pick and roll is just a more effective way to attack a defense, especially when you have Steph Curry on the team. We know that Steph Curry led the league in points per possession in the regular season for any any player that uh, used at least five possessions of it uh, in the regular season. But we also know that, you know, uh, the Warriors were ranked in the bottom bottom two teams in terms of uh, how often they use the pick and roll. It kind of it's so counterintuitive, but we know that Steve Kerr doesn't like the pick and roll. So so one of the things I noticed in game one specifically, right? is we were doing a good job picking apart the Kings overall. Um, we ended up having like a 10-point lead in that third quarter. Steve takes Steph out for a few minutes, and and the Kings go on a, a 
crazy run. They're just hitting shots. They're getting stops. The offense looks out of sorts. Um, the momentum swung, and the lead was cut down to one going into the fourth. Then in the fourth, um, Steph came back, but at that point, the Kings had gained enough confidence and momentum to where their shot making was incredible. Fox was hitting shots. And I felt like that three-minute stretch in the third really defined game one because you have to take advantage when a run is in uh, in progress and you have to be able to to you know capitalize on that you know lead. And I felt like Steve prematurely took Steph out. I think that cost us. And it forced that fourth quarter for it to be, you know, hero ball from Steph hitting incredibly difficult shots, which he did, which he does. But, you know, when you shift momentum like that and you blow a game, a game one at that on the road, it I felt like that was the game that ultimately extended the series. And then even having going gone down 0-2, right? You see game two as well, the stomp, you know, stomp gate with Draymond. Uh, our offense wasn't good at all. We we ended the game with 96 points. We couldn't really shoot the ball. Uh, it was very difficult. We played out of the mud, like um, very difficult to c- come across points. We were running a lot of motion, heavy turnovers that game. Um, and that game, we just couldn't close the deal as well. Davion Mitchell hits a corner three, super clutch shot, and that was ball game. And then game three, you know, Draymond gets suspended. We blow them out. I mean, Steph, right, like you said, Pick and roll, high ball screen especially. So you got the high ball screen stuff with Loon, with um, Wiggins, and and the guard to guard actions as well with Clay and and Pool. And these guys were just you know spread. Steph was getting to his spots, just cooking whoever who was in front of him. Um, and defensively, I thought we were incredible. We only allowed ninety seven points in that game three, and that game three was was a very encouraging sign because we were able to regain momentum. Then game four, I felt, you know, we shot the ball the best all series in that game four, but defensively we allowed 125 points and a near Harrison Barnes game winner. And the funny part about that is, is that we were in control that fourth quarter. Steph closed out the deal. We were hitting shots. Wiggins had that clutch floater up by five, but it slipped away. And because of mistakes we made, self-inflicted wounds, as Steph likes to call them, and things that are just inexcusable and unforgivable, uh, like calling a timeout when you're out of them, uh, like, you know, things of that nature, turning the ball over, taking ill-advised shots, break defensive breakdowns. Now, at the end there, we we were able to execute down the stretch, close out on Harrison Barnes, misses that shot, and now it's tied up 2-2. Two to two. Now, that game five was as composed and as surgical uh, as we've seen the Warriors all season on the road. I mean, they were just running half-court sets, super slow-paced, lower possessions, executing to a T. All the momentum was just, it felt like they had it throughout the entire game. Steph was doing his thing. Um, actually, he ended the game with 31 points, but he was struggling throughout. But he was doing a good job keeping pace. It was Wiggins, you know, hitting some shots. Um, Clay was 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 hitting, was doing his thing. Um, and guys, you know, just con- kind of contributing. Draymond had 21 huge points in that game. He was hitting clutch shot after clutch shot. That was one of the greatest Draymond Greens we've ever seen on both ends, just stopping Fox, being everywhere defensively, helping the helper, peel switching, uh, dropping, um, you know, just playing the cat and mouse in the pick and roll, just really was everywhere. And that was incredibly, you know, encouraging to see that. And then going into game six, we all kind of expected them to close out the deal like they historically have. Uh, and they didn't. They dropped, they dropped the ball. They laid an egg. 
And I just remember, like, you know, they talk about that Steph post-game speech. Like, we don't go out like this. This is not, you know, this is not what we do. And she's, like, lighting a fire under their asses. He's going at, you know, you know, he's directing certain messages at guys. Like, you know, if you're not, if you're worried about playing time, if you're worried about, you know, the wrong things, don't get on that bus. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, that game six was just a huge letdown, man. They let Malik Monk come in shoot shots, you know, without, without much resistance. We, we were just discombobulated defensively all over the place, allowing open dunks, open freeways to the rim uh, off of made baskets did not look like a championship team that wanted to close out uh, as well as they should. And then game seven comes around and the fan base is on pins and needles. I felt like defensively, we just played a good half, right? We were only down two, um, but the, the Kings hit some tough shots. You got Terrence Davis knocking down some threes, um, you know, they were, they were doing their thing. So bonus got free early at 16 first half points, but ultimately that shot profile that they had leaned into what we wanted to do, like contesting certain shots, flybys, you know, Trey Lyles, they had their bench outscored our bench pretty handily. But in that second half, we ended up getting some stops. Steph Curry took over and that was, that was the story of the game and of the series. But, um, it was a very up and down series. I was very disappointed in games one and six. I felt like coaching in game one and then, and I could, we could blame coaching in game six, but for me, it was more so the players, man. Players got to come out with a sense of urgency and have that killer mentality to close out a series as we know them historically to be able to. And they just, I mean, they were completely detached from the game. They were, they were, um, they were down on themselves and they allowed it to slip away. And I feel like if we can clean those things up on top of the X's and O's of rebounding the ball, boxing out, finding your man, uh, sticking to your assignment. And we kind of did that as the series went on. And then as well as limiting turnovers, the games that we limited, limited turnovers, um, we, we were in great shape. So kind of these trends that you saw throughout the series. And ultimately, um, and I know in, on spaces, we, we point this out like, Shot attempts overall, right? When the Kings shot the ball more than us, they won the game. When we shot the, the ball more than them, they won the game. Or, or sorry, we won the game. And essentially what, that, what goes into that is the turnovers and the rebounding, right? The team that turns the ball over less and rebounds more his, like typically uh, gets more shots up and typically wins the game. So those, those are kind of the patterns and the formulas that we, that we can identify throughout this series specifically. I thought Mike Brown did a great job coaching. Uh, you know, throwing different curveballs with Alex Len the first couple games, a guy who kind of rebounded and provided some energy as a role threat, as a you know, as a guy who can rebound you know offensively, um, play finisher, and then he kind of went away from that once we figured those minutes out. Went to Trey Lyles at the five, spreading their offense out five out, um, forcing our defense to have to scramble and 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 close out on shooters and and move and and really consider all these threats offensively. And Lyles did a good job rebounding as well. Then he went to Terrence Davis, went away from Davion Mitchell uh, from the first few games. Terrence Davis, kind of an energy guy, a guy who, you know, is really engaged and can shoot the three ball, provides, you know, an injection of spacing. And, you know, went away from Mitchell, who was kind of an offensive liability as the series went on. So I just thought it was a great chess match uh, by Mike Brown. I would say he probably did outcoach Kerr give it like overall in the series uh just given the adjustments that were made but Kerr did a good job the last three games 
um, kind of adjusting and, and playing the right guys, I thought. I thought that game six, though, was a letdown on, on all sides. But is there anything from this series that you took away that you thought was encouraging going into the Lakers series and you thought was discouraging and you, and you wanted to be corrected for the, for the remainder of the playoffs? So, first of all, that was an immaculate uh, game-to-game breakdown. Uh, games one through seven, uh, you did great. And I just I just want to say that because, you, know, you know, how I started out this podcast, and it's the whole philosophical nature or the ideological nature of how Kerr coaches games and how he gets too comfortable and defaults back to what he knows best, which is move without the ball uh, and pass the ball to the open man and, you know, find the best shot possible and this kind of thing, right? The problem is, you, I'm telling you, you can't do that in the playoffs. You talk about turnovers. Why are they turning the ball over so much when they run that motion? It's because it's oftentimes out of the hands of your best player. Uh, you're running traffic cop offense with Draymond up top, looking for a place to develop, knowing that the defense is completely sagging off him because they know what exactly what they're what he's going to do. They know that he's just going to look to pass, whether he's in the split action, whether he's at the top of the key. They know that he's just trying to pass the ball. He's not looking to score. So that makes you super predictable, and that's not the guy that you want to generate offense out of. And while you have Steph Curry, the greatest offensive fucking player, uh, you know that we've ever seen, the guy can score from anywhere and everywhere. He's a threat. So you put that much more pressure uh, on the defense when that guy has the ball, and you're uh, and the defense is scared. Uh, they're constantly thinking, "Oh, we got to throw two guys at him, otherwise he's gonna, you know, whether it's the pick and roll, whatever DHO." Um, he's a scary, scary player for the opponents and you want to take advantage of that. And they didn't do that in game six. They got casual. They're like, oh, we feel comfortable. We're at home. We can do what we want. Well, things didn't work out. Guys felt the pressure of the moment. And the thing about having Curry off the ball too much and having him just standing in the corner and watching is that when that happens, you're essentially taking him out of your plays and kind of relying on his lesser teammates. and You're you're reducing his impact and value, and those minutes on the court are when he should exert that value the most. Like, Jordan Poole possessions in a vacuum are less efficient than Steph. Steph Curry-led possessions or Klay Thompson isolations are inherently less valuable than what putting Steph on the ball and having him create. And obviously, Jim, we know, we understand that there needs to be a balance Right, you can't just go super heavy isocentric or pick and roll centric. Otherwise, it devolves into what we've seen with the Suns, where you know, it, it, and that's ex- that's an extreme example, of course. But, but Dre, yeah. like you can't compare what Steph Curry is able to do on the on the ball com- right. uh, with anybody else in the league. You can't compare it to KD. You can't compare it to D Book or whoever else you want to compare it to, because uh, because how much because of how much better he is. Right. With the handles that he has, like KD does not have the handles that Steph Curry, he does not have the quickness. He doesn't have the ability to get to any to anywhere on the floor and create something for his teammates uh, the way Steph Curry can. He cannot, you know, kind of pass out of the pressure of a trap the way Steph Curry can. Like, you know, it's it's different levels we're talking about. So, uh, again, you 
kind of you notice what happened in game seven Steph Curry brought the ball up almost exclusively every time he actually acted like the team's point guard and guess what he took he took care of the ball only one turnover for him seven turnovers overall for the team because they're now passing all over the place and just you know the, the ball's not flying all over and you're not making all these predictable passes the guys you're not allowing the other team to play the passing lanes this is a good point right I want to Exactly. So these telegraph passes when they when they played the traffic cop Draymond stuff, top of the key, you got Steph and Clay running off pin downs. As if Mike Brown and and these guys haven't studied and scouted these patterns. These are patterns and routes that are principles and mainstays of what the Warriors like to run, the primary attack. So obviously like they're going to be quite familiar with how to cut it off, and that's why you saw turnovers be in, at such a high margin uh, the first few games. And then as you saw the series go, wane on, like you said, uh, they cut down because they put guys on the ball. Uh, so, yeah. Let me tell on. you something. Yeah. This system makes Stephen Curry casual with the ball because he's just kind of handing it off, he, knowing that he's not going to be the one handling it. He's just another player on the court in this system. He's like another clay or something. So he gets very casual and he gets very careless. Uh, when he plays the, in this system, uh, constantly just moving without the ball. He's a guy who thrives with the ball. He can do anything he wants with the ball. So there's no reason to you know, use him the way uh, Kerr does uh, like in the regular season even. You, we saw how bad they were on the road. They were comically bad on the road. And the thing about playing on the road is that uh, role players are not as good on the road. Even... You know, guys that are in the starting lineup are not as good on the road. Look at, you know, whether it's Clay Thompson, uh, whether it's Wiggins, like they're not as good on the road as they are at home. And that's especially true for guys like Dante, you know, Kuminga, uh, whoever else you can name uh, off the off the bench. You know, even a guy like maybe Jermichael Green or something. They all play better on, at home than on the road, which means... You don't want to use a system that heavily relies on your role players more than your best player. Because Steph Curry, whether he's on the road, whether he's at home, the guy produces. So that's the guy that you want to rely on, right? When when there's more pressure and you and you got to remember, it's the same thing for the other team. They play better at home. Their role players play better at home. A guy like, what's his name? Terrence Davis? Is that his name? Like, yeah, he, Terrence Davis, they ran a lot of dudes. I mean, Len, Alex Len, Trey Lyles, you know. Yeah, they're going to play better at home generally. And so you have to put uh, put that into consideration and put the onus and pressure on your best player to produce so that your the other the secondary and the third guys don't have to feel like, "Ah, oh, like this is a system where like I really have to play uh super well or else like we might fail," right? That it doesn't make any sense. There's no hierarchy there. And so, you know, I don't know if this was a Kerr thing because, you know, I don't know if you saw my tweets after game six ended, but I was essentially saying, and I kind of used Steph Curry's handle directly. I was just like, you can't just, you can't just, you know, use this system. You can't just allow Kerr to dictate how you're going to play. At some point, you need to take control and you need to, have like a team meeting or something addressing this situation because, and you notice like that article came out talking about how Steph Curry gave a speech and whatever. Right. And that, that was such a huge deal because one of the key things that I saw in what he was talking about was that 
I trust and ha have belief in you guys uh, in that we can get this done. But I ask for that belief and trust in return. Right. Have faith in me. Right. Um, and I, I will make sure that we win this series. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is what frustrates me about that is that I feel that he shouldn't have to do this. Like this should be obvious. Everybody on the team should know this is Steph Curry's team. Fall in line enough with the egos. Clay is, you know, an incredible role player for this team, but he's not one A to uh, Steph Curry. I mean, he's not one B to Steph Curry's one A. You know what I'm saying? He's a distinct number two or number three option on any given night, depending on how he's shooting. In in Game Seven's case, he was a, clearly a third option because he was missing everything, right? And and these guys need to fall in line. Draymond Green has the ball too much. Like, fall in line. Give the ball to your best guy. Play your secondary role as a secondary playmaker. Uh, and these things, this, this is the kind of thing that Steve Kerr has to direct his team. Because it's his orders. He's telling the team how to play, what to do. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, he should be the one, he should be the yeah. one being like, hey, Steph, this is your team. Uh, we rely on you. You make it happen for us, right. and everybody else will support you uh, in their roles. Like that's a coaching thing. The coach has to tell the team what to do, but he doesn't. Kerr does not do that. So Draymond and you know Steph Curry have they have they have this separate conversation about how to address the team, and you know uh, Steph is like, I need you guys to trust me. Give me that trust, and I don't want to feel like I have the ball and feel like. Uh, guys are looking over my shoulder like, hey, how come he's shooting so much? Like, this shouldn't be happening. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. right. And so yeah. that's where things kind of changed in uh, Game 7, where things kind of comically turned, and Steph Curry was kind of comically uh, using the possessions where he's dribbling the ball and he's making things happen. He's going ISO. He's looking for the switches. Uh, he's, he's, hunting. he's hunting mismatches. Yeah, yeah. even if he's off the ball, he's moving with a purpose. On the DHO, he's, you know, it, it, knowing that he's going to get the ball back, this kind of thing. And knowing that the teammate is looking for him to get the ball back, this kind of thing. And when he's in control like that, and when he's passing the ball while he's in control like that, it makes the other guys feel more comfortable in taking their shots too because the pass is directly from Steph Curry, who's in control of the situation. No, you're exactly right. And and I, I think that's that you make a good point where there has been um, there's been enough out there from a reporting standpoint and from a uh, information standpoint, like in an understanding the locker room dynamics, right? So you got, you know, the, the young dudes like Jordan, Kaminga, Dante, and Dante's in that mix because he's kind of fighting for a new deal, a contract, you know, long-term financial security. And he wants playing time. He wants his shine. He wants his run. And then you got Jordan and Kaminga, who are young players who want to be out there, contribute to a winning team. So you understand like the frustrations, right? From from all from all parties, right? You you got you know a group of you know young twenty year olds, and then you got a group of mid thirty year olds. And the mid thirty year olds are saying like you know they're thinking you know these are this is how we win. There are certain things we have to do, play under control, pay, play with pace, uh, you know, lean into defense, focus on rebounding, like the little things, right? It's not just about shot making. It's not about scoring. Scoring in the playoffs 
is a, is is important, but it's not as important as the as defense, rebounding, and execution. Intangibles. And so, Kaminga wasn't rebounding. He was watching. He was watching the ball. He was ball watching. He wasn't rebounding. Uh, Jordan Poole was turning the ball over. He wasn't necessarily efficient with his possessions. He was he was a little bit reckless. Um, and then Dante was unplayable. I mean, he he was getting burnt on switches. He couldn't stand in front of his man. He was missing wide open shots. But I will say this: all of them had their moments. Kaminga had a good had a couple good moments in Game Three. Dante had some good moments in Game Three. Jordan had some good moments in Game Four, uh, and Game Six he was okay. And and so all of these guys had you know sp- sprinkled in some good contributions throughout. But ultimately, to be to remain consistent, you have to lean into sustainable um, contributions. Like in terms of look at GP two, right? There's a reason he gets consistent run. Is even though he he may not be the greatest offensive player, right? They, teams leave him open. It doesn't matter because he's a great slasher. He puts pressure on the rim, and he's an incredible defender, and he's very active. So that activity is gonna is gonna buy in. And see, this is what Kaminga should be doing, right? In terms of locking in and keying in on how can I be an impact player instead of a scorer or a you know what I'm saying. And defensively, I thought in Game Four that was his last, like that was the nail in, in nail in the coffin where he just was dying on these screens. He was not fighting over, getting a hand up, and Fox was walking into these shots. Yeah, you're supposed to go under the screen. That's the scheme that they like to run. But Wiggins, at every moment, every time he went under, still got a hand up. And Fox made those shots at times, but he missed it other times. But Kaminga was just allowing Fox to walk into open shots. Dante just couldn't stand in front of his man, caused breakdowns over and over again. Uh, and, And he tried in other ways to rebound and whatnot. He was just undersized, and it wasn't a good matchup for him. Then you got Poole, like I said, little out of sorts, shot selection not great, um, defensively was not good, and and just inefficient as a scorer. So these guys struggled. But I, when Steph has to come at, come into a, a a meeting, and have to has to really set the tone in terms of understanding what the priorities are and what the intentions are behind these this series and what the playoffs mean and and this game like. You would you'd hope that the young guys would understand. Now Moses Moody seemed to understand. He he it seemed he understood the assignment, rebounding the ball, attentive, locked in on that end, trying to rebound and and, and be physical, be a presence, find a body, box out, hitting open shots, timely shots, knocking him down when he's open, cutting to the rim, putting putting good pressure, defending De'Aaron Fox, who by the way he shouldn't be able to defend. I mean. Darren Fox is a tough cover. Moses Moody all season has been benched for his defense. Comes right in and is able to lock up Fox POA for a number of possessions, multiple possessions. And so when you see how Moses Moody is able to slot in and be an impact player, um, it's just an incredible uh, dichotomy, you know, of the young core. And I, you'd hope that as these playoffs go go on, that guys will be able to find their stride. Because, you know, Clay, he'll he'll be hit or miss. He'll have games where he shoots twelve for twenty, and he'll have games where he shoots seven for twenty-four. Wiggins is always going to give you defense and rebounding. Sometimes he'll give you twenty-four points. Sometimes he'll give you fourteen points, th- twelve points. Sometimes he you know misses free throws, makes free throws, hits threes, doesn't. But 
I can't be frustrated with Wiggins' understanding that his impact and value lies in his defensive, um, his defensive ability, and his rebounding uh, value as well. So when you combine that with the fact that you know you look at Looney and Draymond, they find ways to contribute, uh, doing the ancillary stuff. You'd hope that Dante right can find his stride and 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 be able to slide in where he's needed. That Jordan Poole and Kaminga will be able to as well.